So uh, interestingly, a couple of folks raised essentially the same kind of question over the last few days. And so I thought I would go ahead and address it in a post. Um, uh, this is a, a good question. And I'm sure one that a number of folks kind of struggle with and wrestle with. And um, the question ba- or the questions basically, uh, if I could summarize them, truncate them a little bit, uh, basically speak to the issue of rewards in heaven and um, wh- what will that look like for those maybe who have squandered a part of their Christian life? Uh, they've, they love Jesus, you know, they're born again, but, uh, but maybe there was a backslide or, uh, I've not really lived out my life for Christ, uh, as fully as I should have. And, and, uh, what if I just get in by the skin of my teeth and, and, you know, will some have so many rewards and, you know, will I regret that and, and, and all of the things that kind of mentally follow that train of thought? Again, I'm combining uh, uh, a couple of comments that came in, and uh, <clears throat> but that essentially kind of lies at the heart of the question. So I wanted to speak today a little bit to that question of rewards in heaven. Let me first, though, lay a foundation regarding um, the idea of, of going to heaven. Uh, first and foremost, going to heaven is itself the single most basic and, and fantastic reward of the whole thing. The idea of being in the presence of God for all eternity is in itself um, the greatest of rewards, right? It's the all-encompassing reward that we're in his presence. Um, the Bible does speak of, of of other rewards and crowns and such, which we'll look at. But we should start by recognizing that fundamentally, most importantly, uh, to be a believer means that you're going to spend eternity with God as opposed to an unbeliever apart from God in the lake of fire and, and in torment, as Jesus described, um, you know, a place where the fire is not quenched and the worm doesn't die, a place where... Uh, those who have rejected will spend eternity, um, you know, in this place of separation from God. And, and there are lots of thinkings on what that may look like. And the scripture tells a little bit, but, um, but, you know, it's just, it's, you don't want to, you don't want that, you know, obviously. And so, um, so starting with the idea that a believer is assured of knowing that they will be in the presence of God, they will enjoy eternity forever with him. And in his presence, as Psalm 1611 says, is fullness of joy. And so let me start by saying that to go to heaven in and of itself, to be in the presence of God for all eternity, uh, is of course the richest of all possible rewards. To be, uh, with the Lord Himself and, and to see Jesus and, uh, to be in this place where, where the, the, the old body, the, the body of flesh is gone and we have these new bodies fit for eternity. Um, this is the promise, uh, to all believers. As a matter of fact, if you would grab your Bible, um, and uh, and turn to First Peter, if you would, <coughs> chapter one. While you're doing, I'm getting a sip of my excellent coffee this morning. You know, a good cup of coffee is hard to beat. If if you're a coffee drinker, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, that's so sad. But anyway, First uh, Peter chapter one. Uh, let me read uh, verses three through five, and uh, and just just to begin to answer this question of reward. Um, you know, my desire is not just to, to sort of speak to what some of these rewards may entail, but also to bring comfort for those who are, you know, again, in, in, in a place where they're wondering, like, man, am I going to be disappointed for eternity? Am I going to have regret for eternity that I didn't live out my life and all this kind of thing? Let me start by bringing some encouragement to the believer who's listening. Uh, Peter writes here in First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy 
has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God, through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's a great mouthful right there in those few verses. But there is an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us who are kept by the power of God. Our salvation... That gift from God is given to us and we are held in it, kept for that day, that we will one day enjoy the inheritance that God has for the saints. And this inheritance is according to his abundant mercy. Our salvation and the inheritance that comes with it is all based on his abundant mercy. And so we're there by his mercy and 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 we get to experience it all through his mercy and such. And so all believers are uh, are are looking forward to that and have no need to not be excited about that or no need to fear that they will not one day enter into that again you are you who are uh, uh, are kept by the power of god right so the idea that we are going to heaven that this needs to be understood and embraced and celebrated and anticipated in the life of a believer but of course you know um the passage that most often kind of prods the question <coughs> is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So let me go ahead and begin to more directly speak to this question of things like rewards and such. Uh, in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing, and I'll go ahead and um, uh, start in verse 11. Uh, of course, it's it's good to read the whole chapter, the whole book, and and, and all of that, but for time, we'll, we'll start in verse 11. I'll read through verse 15. Where Paul writes, for no other foundation can be can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. A uh, familiar passage for those who, again, are maybe asking this question. Uh, the idea of, of the things that we do for Christ. Again, as he said in the passage, the fire may burn away those things that uh, maybe were done with wrong motivations or out of selfishness, not for Christ, but maybe building our own kingdom, as it were. Um, those things burn away, but the believer is spared. It's He's saved, yet through fire. In other words, there's this sort of uh, picture of a refining of burning away all those things, um, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. But those things that stand, on the other hand, those things that are made, as, as he describes, you know, with gold and silver and precious stones and that, these things endure and become a reward. Uh, and so, you know, like John would say in Second John, the idea is that we want to uh, we want to move toward a full reward, right? We would want to do things that would diminish what that is. And so, there is this sense that there are rewards that may even be of increasing, uh, I don't know, amount, if I can put it that way. I do like to say that we're talking about rewards in eternity, a place where we will fundamentally have a fully redeemed nature and person, you know, even the, the the body of flesh, as Paul says in Romans 8 or in 1 Corinthians 15, the idea of this body that is of corruption will one day replace, be, be uh, metamorphosized into this body that is free of all the sin nature and free of all the things that come with that. And so, um, so I guess maybe this is a good point to, uh, to, um, uh, to interject this. The general fear <coughs> in heaven for those 
you who wonder if maybe I've squandered a part of my life and haven't really lived as fully for Jesus, uh, that would bring said rewards and that kind of thing. There's a fear that there will be this, this regret or we'll be looking at other saints that are, um, you know, um, you know, just piled up with rewards and all this kind of thing. Uh, will we look at them in envy or regret and this kind of thing? Well, I would suggest that, uh, and, and by the way, there's a great sermon, uh, by Jonathan Edwards on this very subject. And, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, if I remember, I'll put a link to it where you can read it, but, um, uh, it's, it's really a, a, a wonderful sermon he gave on, on this topic. But I, and I think the scripture clearly bears this out. And of course, Jonathan Edwards is a great preacher. And so he's, he's speaking from that which scripture has to say about the subject. And that again has to do with the fact that our nature itself will be redeemed as well. There will be no, uh, there will be no envy in our new nature. There will be no regret in our new nature. There will be no, um, again, if in his presence is fullness of joy, then there is this understanding that we're not going to experience things like regret and sorrow in heaven over failings and shortcomings and, oh, I wish I had done this, that, and more. But interestingly, and I think importantly, we will be such where when in heaven, if if in fact we are reading this correctly and there are varying degrees of reward, then we're going to celebrate um, when folks have, you know, more crowns, as it were, and that kind of thing. We're going to rejoice in that, and we're also going to celebrate the grace of God in, in rewarding us at all. Uh, if you remember in Second Corinthians, or in, uh, not Second Corinthians, but Ephesians chapter two, there's this wonderful treatise in verses eight and nine about how we're saved by God's grace. This is His gift to us; it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then in verse ten, it goes on to speak about uh, how we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He laid out in advance for us to walk in. So, whatever things we have walked in. Uh, that, that, that God rewards. This is a mind blowing concept in itself, right? The fact that we're, the good works that we do aren't even really things that we came up with. They're things that God put before us to walk in. And then when he rewards us for it, it's like he's given us that opportunity to be rewarded. We'll be celebrating the fact that he did that at all. You know, that if, if I have one little tiny thimble sized crown and I can leave it before the Lord in that, I'll be rejoicing over that for all eternity. And I'll be celebrating those that have, you know, many more and that kind of thing. And so it's not, I think it's important to remember that our nature itself will be fundamentally changed, radically changed. Uh, we will be fully what God has created us to be in that point without all of the, uh, shortcomings and, and flesh uh, capacities like regret and remorse and envy and things. These things will be all cast off with this old body of flesh as we take on the new one, uh, when he gives it to us. And so, um, so that's an important element to remember. Um, um, so, so, you know, when it talks about the rewards now, I guess what I'd like to do going forward is maybe now say, okay, well, if, if there's a concern that I'm not living my life for Jesus, <coughs> Let's talk about the blessedness that comes in the form of reward uh, uh, for those. You know, um, what does that look like for believers to receive rewards uh, in heaven? And, and what do we do with those in heaven and that kind of thing? Um, now, by the way, let me interject one one other thing here in concert with what we've been talking about that 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 I intend to under set up as a an undercurrent for the motivation for why going forward you'd want to live your life for Jesus. Um, there is an encouragement to run the race in order that you might obtain a crown, right? The idea of this imperishable crown, as Paul would talk about, one that by comparison with the laurel wreath that a an Olympian might win for running a race, uh, this crown does not 
dry up and wither away and fade away like that crown. This crown endures forever. Uh, and we're encouraged to run the race with endurance and to run the race as though to win and that kind of thing. Not competing with one another, but just running with endurance and running full on uh, for the sake of, of, of Christ and his glory. And therein lies the beginnings of the understanding of our motivation. Um, we are not really running this race for ourselves alone. We do run the race ourselves, of course, in the power of the Holy Spirit, with the encouragement of the communion of saints and that kind of thing. But, but we don't, it's not really about us at the heart of it, though. We run the race out of love for Christ himself. We run the race and live our lives out, is, is what we're talking about. Live our lives out, not so I can make sure I amass lots of crowns. That just comes as a byproduct of running the race for the sake of just simply honoring and blessing and glorifying Jesus. Um, this is why a proper understanding of the gospel is so important. If the gospel is just about what I get, um, then that's an insufficient and shallow approach to the, the beauty of the gospel. Of course, we do have a, a vested interest in being saved personally. We don't want to go to hell. We do want to go to heaven. But if that's all our motivation is, that is so shallow compared to the depth of the richness of what the gospel is. Uh, and so this is why we talk about our actual condition outside of Christ, lost, depraved. Uh, the Bible says dead in sin, incapable of, of anything uh, to pull ourselves out of this. But Christ reaches now in, and he who knows, who knew no sin became sin on our behalf or with our sin. And, 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 uh, and we now therefore become the righteousness of God in Him. He gives us this robe of righteousness. It is His giving and doing for us. <coughs> if I may encourage without sounding self-serving, on this podcast, we also have, have now taken to reading the scripture, just opening a book of the Bible and reading it and posting those readings. I just posted, um, earlier today, reading through the book of Galatians. If I can encourage you to listen to that, or even better yet, open the book of Galatians yourself and just read it for yourself <clears throat> and, uh, and, and learn this truth, the idea that the grace of God comes fully um, by his, his goodness and generosity. It's not, not something we earn. And so, matter of fact, uh, Paul says uh, in Galatians 2.21 that if righteousness comes by the law or my efforts, then Christ died for nothing. And so read the entire epistle and allow those truths to sink into your heart and into your mind. And you will begin, as you begin that journey of plumbing the depths of, of the beauty and richness of the gospel, to come to realize that the real joy of running this race, the real joy of living out the Christian life, is honoring and blessing him who loved me for reasons that I have no idea, just beyond me. I have no idea why God loves me and why he set me free, but he did. And I gladly live in response to that. Uh, and so the grace of God really becomes the, the foundation, the inspiration, the, the fueling of, and, and ultimately toward the glory of God. And so, um, so that being <laughs> said, it's not so that we can amass crowns, that that you know those increase as we just walk with him and 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 live for his glory but they 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 become less and less in and of themselves in terms of personal gain the reason for why i'm doing this uh and so uh, matter of fact there's a great picture of what we do with these crowns uh, or what potentially we do with these crowns in heaven uh in chapter 4 of revelation if you want to turn there last book of the bible chapter 4 
I'm going to go ahead and read this. Uh, it's 11 verses, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. And this, this shows us something very, very beautiful. Uh, chapter 4 of Revelation, after these things, John writing, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must, must take place after this. Now, many, uh, if it seems like it sounds this way, there are many who see in this, and I, I wouldn't necessarily dispute it, uh, see a picture of potentially the rapture here, where John is in type as he goes to, to be in heaven to see these things. Um, some see in this a, a picture of the rapture in view. And again, I like to see it that way myself. But verse 2, immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who was there, who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. <coughs> around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices, seven lamps of fire which... Uh, which were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, or the sevenfold spirit of God, as sometimes it's seen. Before the, before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. This, by the way, to me, is one of the most telling things about the glory of being in heaven. These angels spend all of their time around the throne worshiping God. They are in physically the closest proximity to God on the throne, and all they can do is worship day and night forever. Uh, I think that is an insight into just how absolutely beyond our finding out heaven really is. And that's, you know, Paul says, quoting from Isaiah, you know, eye is not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And that's certainly true in life, but no doubt also true in eternity. Well, the passage goes on in verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Now, the 24 elders are a mysterious bunch. Um, No one is absolutely certain who they are or who they represent. Um, and so there are a number of different theories, but one of those theories is that they represent the church. Uh, it may be that uh, 24, possibly symbolizing 12 tribes, 12 apostles, um, this sort of bringing together now in finality that, that body of believers before the throne. There's a number of different theories who they are, but one of those is that they, they may represent the church. Regardless of who they are, what they represent, there is something telling about what they do with the crowns that they have. They lay them before the feet of of he who sits on the throne. And so we sometimes take from that, and I think justifiably, um, (coughs) we sometimes take from that, uh, again, whether this represents the church or not, that this is what we will do with our crowns when we go and are before the Lamb. Uh, We will worship God who sits on the throne. We will lay down our crowns before him and worship, calling out again this idea of how you alone are worthy of all praise and glory. And uh, and we will enjoy in heaven the opportunity to thank him in person for all that he has done. So um, so you know this, as far as the 
um, the rewards that we have, this is what they're for. Uh, and so, um, <coughs> um, so now let me take a minute and, and, uh, look at what some of these crowns are. Interestingly, the scripture actually names five crowns in particular. Um, and, uh, I mean, there are crowns mentioned throughout the scripture, but in the new Testament, there are a number of crowns that are particularly mentioned that I thought it might be interesting to go ahead and to, uh, and to look at here. So let me invite you to turn with me to a number of passages. Um, uh, in Revelation, since you're there, maybe turn over to Revelation chapter two and, uh, and, um, and, uh, we'll go ahead and look at verse, excuse me, uh, verse, um, verse 10. And uh, I'm also going to turn to James in just a second. I jotted him down because I, I knew I'd forget the exact verses and I didn't want to get lost flipping around. Um, but here we go. Um, in Revelation chapter two, uh, and, uh, the Lord is, um, oh, I'm in first Peter. No wonder it's not coming up. Here we go. Like that doesn't look like revelation chapter two. Here you go. Revelation two, verse 10. He's talking here to the church in Smyrna and, uh, in verse 10, notice what he says. Do not fear any of those things, which are, you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and that you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, James also speaks about this in, in James chapter one. Uh, I'm going to move through these quickly. So I'll put the note, uh, these passages in the notes so you can read them. But if you want to race around with me, you can. <clears throat> James chapter one. Uh, similarly, James writes something like that, where he says, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Do you love him? Uh, certainly you will be tested. Certainly you will face difficulties and temptation and you will be proven and that your faith will be proven and tested like gold. But God gives again this idea of the crown of life to those who love him, this idea of life, this ongoing life. Not only, it's interesting, the, the term Zoe, uh, and, uh, when it's spoken of in terms of eternal life, Aeonia Zoe, uh, the idea here is, is not only a, a, an, an ever enduring time span of life, but also a quality of life, an eternal kind of life, one that is lived with a different perspective and with eternity in mind, and therefore is lived on a higher level, uh, both intellectually, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. We live for in a different way because we understand that our life with God uh, is both richly blessed and it goes on forever. Well, this crown of life is for all of those, uh, ultimately, who love him. Uh, let me, I mentioned the imperishable crown. Uh, let me invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul talks about this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, verses 24 and 25. You know, there was a time I probably could have just rattled these verses off from memory, but you know, they told me when I get older what the first thing would be to go, and I can't remember what they said. Anyway, so here in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, uh, starting in verse 24, we again, we alluded to this earlier, but do you not know that those who run a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not as not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body 
and bring it into submission, lest uh, lest what I have preached to others I myself should become disqualified. The idea of running this race with the intention of winning, and th- uh, uh, like the author of Hebrews might say, sort of throwing off the things, the weights, and, and in Hebrews it says, and sins that so easily beset us, and rather instead running ahead toward that glory. And so Paul here talks about this in terms of a competition like in the Olympiad, where you'd run with the intention of winning the crown, the victor's crown, the idea of having endured to the end and having come in first in that context. In our context, you and I are not competing with one another. We're not looking at one another dangerously and uh, and and thinking, I'm doing pretty well because I'm doing better than you, or I'm not doing so well because you're doing better than I am. That's not what he's talking about. But he's saying within ourselves, we recognize the importance of running as though our intention is to win this thing. Uh, and, and again, this imperishable crown, uh, this crown that endures forever, the idea of that which we lay before the Lord uh, as a reward, something that's forever. Second um, Timothy chapter 4. Again, I'm kind of moving through these a little quickly for time's sake. Second <coughs> Timothy chapter 4. Um, I'll start in verse 6. And this is Paul now, uh, having come to the end of his life. This is the end of his race. Second uh, Timothy is the last letter that we have from the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to Timothy words of encouragement uh, as he is about to face his own demise, his martyrdom for Christ. And in chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This, every time I hear these words, I just, it's, 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 uh, Wow. I want to be able to say this. I hope you do too at the end. And, and it's, it's never too late to start. If, uh, if you feel like, again, as at the beginning, we talked about this feeling of maybe squandered some of our time. You know what? Today's a new day. As mercies are new every morning, start today. If you're in that place of maybe backsliding or having drifted a bit, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. One day we'll see him face to face, and Paul seems to imply that even though, and of course, all of the theology that he has been given by the Holy Spirit and shared throughout Scripture talks about how we are now righteous in Christ, but we will find ourselves at the end of that race, being before the Lord and receiving this crown of righteousness. Um, it is, is in that position of, of, of experiencing now the fullness of redemption that in that context he gives us this additional crown. And uh, again, it becomes this wonderful reward that we can glorify him and praise him and thank him for. Again, our righteousness is not one that we achieved ourselves, but one that is, even in the model of this idea of being given that crown, it is something that is given to us. The righteousness of God is given to us. Um, what about the crown of glory? First Peter chapter four. Uh, you'll turn uh, right a few books. First Peter comes uh, right after Hebrews. You'll see Peter's writings. Well, first Peter chapter five, uh, looking at verse four, notice what Peter has to say. Um, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Glory is an interesting thing. The idea of uh, this doxa, this idea of something that um, God alone deserves and we give him glory and we worship him and glorify him. Um, But there is this sense in which he gives us a measure of glory for just being his children. It's hard to say just for being faithful. Yes, the call is to be faithful. 
But even the things that we do that demonstrate that faithfulness, as we said in Second Corinthians uh, chapter two, verse ten, these are things He's laid out before us. Um, there is there is no place for pride or arrogance. There is no I did it. Look what I accomplished. There is this sense that Lord. Thank you that you have made me your child. Thank you for helping me to walk in faithfulness and even living out the life that you have laid out before me that I might glorify you in this. To give me a crown of glory, to even begin to give me an ounce of that which only you deserve is just something that is so far beyond uh, or ought to be so far beyond anything that we could imagine um, ever having, you know, certainly never deserving. But yet God graciously gives us that crown of glory. And then lastly, notice uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 2, First uh, Thessalonians, right, we were just in uh, Timothy, the letters to Timothy. Just before that, you'll find the Thessalonian letters. And in Second Thessalonians, I'm sorry, First Thessalonians chapter 2, is that right? Yes, it is. Chapter 2, verse 19, uh, Paul says this, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. <coughs> this idea of the crown of rejoicing, um, this idea of of having this element that represents the rejoicing in the Lord for what he has given us, the capacity to do and has laid out for us to do, uh, to look at the fruit of the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the lives of those that God has called, that's you and I, um, and to see that there is this connection with this crown of rejoicing, this celebration over that which God has done. And it's equated with the idea of a crown, um, participating in that work and being involved in what God is doing in that regard that brings fruit unto salvation and growth in the lives of believers and that kind of thing. All of these things to the glory of God. Much more could be said, obviously, but just in brief thumbnail sketch of these different crowns that are given to us. And, you know, I tend to uh, see these as even though they are concepts, they are sort of personified in or materialized in actual crowns that become rewards that we can lay down at his feet in that day. Uh, so I don't think it's just a figure of speech of worshiping and just saying these things as part of our worship, but I think maybe it is and likely is. I, I hold that it is that in fact we will be giving, you know, physical things as, as, as gifts and offerings. Not unlike those kings that came, those, those magi that came and gave gifts at the, at, uh, at, uh, you know, brought gifts to the young child, uh, Christ and such when they found him. And I think we'll have the same opportunity and blessing in heaven. So, you know, for those who struggle, you know, um, man, will I have rewards in heaven? Will I be jealous or, uh, will I be sorry that I didn't have more crowns and that kind of thing? Again, I think, I think a lot of that is rooted in the idea that our, our nature in heaven will be that which is perfect. No longer will we have those kinds of feelings and emotions or, uh, or even if, if I would to dare to say that we'd have them in some way, they would be in such a refined, and rightly motivated kind of place that they wouldn't be sorrowful. Uh, you know, we again would look at, um, you know, somehow in heaven, all of the things, um, you know, all tears are wiped away, for example, all things that would bring sorrow and diminish the joy and glory of being in the presence of God would be uh, either seen now clearly through the lens of eternity and perfection or would be wiped away entirely. So, so I wouldn't get wrapped up in, in worrying about remorse but that said, I would encourage you, you know, with the right motivation to um, to serve the Lord with your days, 
You know, we do live in a time that I think puts us on the brink of seeing him. But even if we were thousands of years away from that, which I don't in any way believe, but even if it weren't coming for thousands of years, every one of us has a last breath coming. And what we do with our lives uh, in the span of time that we have is important. A friend um, from Far Reaching Ministries uh, recently spoke about that, and he put it this way, and it's it's uh, it's a really cool way to put it. He said, "You know, there's there is sort of the starting point of your life, and there's the ending point of your life, uh, the the birth date and the death date, and in between there's a dash. Well, what you do with that dash is what you're doing with your life right now." And, uh, and, and I guess I'll close with this quote. I, I shared it on Sunday morning. Some of you are very familiar with this. You may not know where it comes from, but uh, C.T. Studs uh, wrote a poem that comes back to this line, this idea over and over and over again. And, it, and it's this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's a wonderfully simple uh, way of remembering that you and I were created for a far greater purpose than just punching a clock nine to five. We do that because we have to keep the lights on, provide for our families, whatever the case might be. But our lives are about more than that. Our lives are about more than uh, flipping on a game or, or just, you know, thinking about the next thing I can go by or whatever. These are things that we do and we enjoy, and that's fine. I'm not trying to be condemning about that. But our lives are about more than that. Our lives were intended to be something that brings God glory. And this is a great joy, a great privilege, a wonderful blessing And those of you who walk with the Lord and experience his presence in your lives, you know this. And so let me encourage you toward that end, not to worry about the time that maybe you've squandered because you can't go back and change that. And if you're trying to make up for it out of a sense of guilt, then I would suggest that's the wrong motivation anyway. But if you now face the days going forward in the understanding that your life can count for time and eternity for the glory of God, then then I would say, you know what, pour yourself into that, dive into that for his glory. Not just so you can amass crowns. That will just happen as you serve him and, and, and again, walk in those things that he's laid out for you. But let it be motivated by love. Love is the highest motivation when it comes to our service to God. We love him, therefore. We love him because he first loved us, right? So even that we understand. This We love because he first loved us. We understand what that means because of his love toward us. And our response when rooted in that becomes the great motivator. Suddenly now we we don't grow weary in doing well because we know that in due time we'll see the the result of those things, whether it's here or in eternity. Um, we don't have to we don't have to have such a base motivation as, well, I'm just afraid that if I don't then. Rather instead, I want to, just out of love. Again, it's it's so hard not to equate this to a good marriage because when you love your spouse, you don't have to be told to do good things for her. You don't have to be told that, oh, I should do this. You you look for opportunities. You just, and it's out of love, not because you think you'll get something back, but because you love this person. Well, that's, that epitomizes the motivation in our, in our relationship with God. And so um, as I close in prayer, I'm going to pray that that is the motivation that we all have, that we share, that we bring to the table when it comes to our service for him. And, uh, and I also want to pray for comfort for those who, again, are wrestling with this very thing. Hopefully, in some way, going to the Word has brought a measure of understanding and, and hopefully comfort uh, in that regard. Um, I, uh, I, I certainly hope. So, <coughs> so Father, just want to come before you together and thank you for the grace that you've shown us. We thank you that even the good works that we do, those things that are done for the world to see that you might be, get the glory in heaven, that they might see the good works we do and glorify our Father in heaven, even these things 
are what you've laid out before us. There's no credit to be taken. There's no pride to be to be uh, uh, to be brought to bear. But rather, instead, everything is from you. And so we thank you that Lord, you've just simply invited us to come, and having come, you've invited us to follow you. We just pray, Lord, that in our hearts, that uh, Lord, in our lives, that the motivation underlying our service to you would be a pure one, would be done out of just genuine love in response to your love and generosity toward us. Father, we are so undeserving. And we don't just say that because it's like a Christian thing to say. Father, when we come to know you better and we come to know ourselves better and realize just how completely um, incapable, inept, dead in sin, how separated we truly are, and that you would reach down and pull us out and in Christ now make us new. Father, how could we... How could we not understand uh, the need for love in response to be the motivation? Father, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves or to please you in and of ourselves. It's all because of what you've now made us. Thank you for this. We just pray, Lord, for those who struggle and carry the weight and burden of maybe some time in their lives that has been squandered. All of us have some of that at least. And Father, help us not to um, respond to that with a fear uh, that or a motivation of fear that somehow we're going to be disappointed in heaven, that we didn't do more and all this kind of thing. But rather we thank you that in advance, that when one day we're in our redeemed and glorified bodies, that they will be perfect. There'll be nothing left of a sin nature. There'll be no remorse, no more tears, no more regrets, anything like that. But rather in your presence, now called to be in that place where you are and we're physically there around your throne, we'll experience what the psalmist meant when he said, in your presence is fullness of joy. Thank you for this, Lord. Father, you're so gracious to us, and we just pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that he himself would move in our lives and draw us closer and closer, that we, like the angels around the throne, would find ourselves incapable of doing anything but worshiping you as we gaze upon your glory, even as we do so dimly through a glass at this point. Father, we thank you that one day that will all be removed and we'll see you in your glory, worshiping adoring, thanking you. Thank you, Father. We love you and praise you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have any questions or thoughts or anything you want to share, you're welcome to do that on our comments section uh, in our on our YouTube videos. If you want to email me, uh, you can do that at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. I have used other emails in the past that I do periodically check, but I don't check them nearly as often. So if you want to reach out to me, I would suggest uh, again, info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. That's the one I'm always checking. So um, I apologize that every now and then I go look at uh, one of the other emails. Uh, I won't even tell you what it is because I don't really want you to use it because I don't check it very much. But I do find a question pops up in there. It's been sitting there for a couple of weeks. And so um, just, again, encourage you to try the info at Calvary Chapel Franklin. And um, so in any case, uh, thanks for watching and listening. It's great to be able to go through these things together. And until the next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace, his peace, forever. Amen.